February is Heart Health Month. There's no better time to focus on heart-healthy habits like eating more dark chocolate, groundbreaking results from Harvard's massive Cosmos study on cocoa flavanols show a 39% reduction in the risk of cardiovascular death among participants consuming cocoa flavanols daily. I search high and low for cocoa products that deliver meaningful amounts of healthful flavanols with great flavor and minimal sugar. I'm thrilled to have found Flava Naturals. Flavor Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate Bars and Cocoa Powder deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate. Their secret is sourcing premium, high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to help improve your blood pressure and cholesterol levels, possibly reduce your chance of heart attack and stroke. I use it every day. To order, just go to flavanaturals.com. That's flavanaturals.com. There you'll find details on Harvard's Cosmos study and great recipes, too. That's flavanaturals.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. It's our weekly rundown of questions that you send to us at questions at drhoffman.net. With me today is Layla Mutin because she joins me each week for our Q&A with Layla segment. Among the most popular, if not the most popular of all our weekly podcasts because you never know what you're going to hear about on Q&A with Layla. We cover a diverse array of issues which are determined by your interests as listeners. Questions at drhoffman.net, the place for questions. Also, comments. Comments are welcome, too. So, how are you doing, Layla? Okay, Dr. Hoffman. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm kind of glad that um, that January has, is over because it's kind of yeah. like a it's sort of a draggy month. You know, yeah. it's kind of cold, gray. I'm, and I'm glad the snow this morning I saw out the window turned to rain pretty quickly. Well, we're really are one of our very unusual stretches with no snow in yeah. New York. I haven't had to shovel the walk in front of my house. Yeah, so uh, nice. you know, but it's nonetheless it's sort of dark and gloomy. Yeah, and uh, one would be it'd be preferable to be in a warmer clime. Sure. So, uh, which is actually where I'm headed in a couple of weeks. I'm going to spend uh, a few days cycling in Death Valley, California. Wow. Uh, where it's part of a you know group. Mm-hmm. It's an organized group. And it's going to be warm and sunny. Fantastic. It's in a place called Furnace Creek. Furnace Creek. And this time of year, Furnace Creek gets up to a high of about 70 Oh, terrific. Yeah. So That's lovely. It's, a, it, it's it, a good place. It's a great time to get away in February. Yeah. I, are, right? I just, I need a little light infusion. Yes. And uh, it'll be a way to keep my training going in winter. So, um, all right. So we're going to take questions momentarily, but I just wanted to comment on this story. Uh, U.S. will trail other rich nations in life expectancy by 2030. Uh, and so... Uh, it is an interesting story because actually, you know, we tend to think of us making continuous progress in our fighting against diseases and extending lifespan. And that really was the prospect until a few years ago when all of a sudden we started going backwards in yeah. life, life expectancy. And so just to give you an idea of uh, the country that has one of the longest life expectancies 
is South Korea by 2020-30. The projection is uh, for uh, men, it'll be 84 degree, 84 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> degrees. I, I'm already in Death Valley. Yeah, you are. Uh, <laughs> it'll be 84 years for men in South hmm. Korea. But for women, it'll be, and this is the normal life expectancy over for the first time in human history, it'll be topping 90. It'll be 90.82. Wow. Almost 91 Terrific. for women in South Korea. Uh, on the other hand, comparatively, the United States well, lags significantly for men. Uh, by 2030, the life expectancy will be under 80 for men. So if for you men who are over 80, you're already beating the odds. And for women, it'll be a mere 83 years of age. Seven, oh, fully wow. seven years less. Wow. Um, other uh, comparable countries, France, uh, men live a little longer, 82 years. They still smoke Galois. <laughs> and uh, they ride around on those crazy mopeds. Uh, also, women uh, 88 and a half years old by 2030 will be the life expectancy. Uh, Japan, mm -hmm. uh, for men, 83. Uh, and for women, 88 and a half. Wow. So we're not doing very well. We're not. Uh, and if you think it's just about North America, well, Canada, 84. For men? For men. Mm -hmm. 87 for women. That's the projection. Mm. And so if we compare life expectancies of the countries with the highest life expectancies, right now it's Japan, soon to be surpassed by Korea. Um, the of, of the top 20, mm -hmm. the U.S. Doesn't, isn't on there at all. Not of the, the top, top 20. 20. So we all the wow. countries that are surpassing the United States, Japan, Switzerland, Singapore, Australia, Spain, Iceland. Iceland's doing pretty well. I was just there. It's mm. kind of, I mean, it's a harsh climate. Switzerland. They oh. eat a lot of fish. Uh -huh. Italy, Israel, France, Sweden at number 10, uh, Korea, Canada, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Norway, a lot of European countries, Malta, New Zealand, Austria, Ireland, UK. And I guess... You know, way down there somewhere is Russia. Russia is very, they actually have a negative population growth because the deaths are out exceeding the births. There's yeah. a lot of birth control and abortion. Yes. Uh, there's now war casualties, but even before that, there was a demographic trend towards early death, especially among men mm -hmm. who drink and smoke a lot. Yeah. And so that is a problem. Uh, there's, um, so here's the interesting correlation. Um, of all the major countries in the world, which country do you think has the highest uh, percentage of total adult population aged 15 years and older who are technically obese? I Answer? Would, I would say America. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Yep. United States. And that's what's uh, contributing to our... Where the uh, percentage is 40%. And that is based on a BMI of over 30. Yes. And a B 40%. 40%. So I, I, just, I just calculated my BMI. My BMI is in the healthful range. It's like 23.75. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Like, what is it? 22 to 25 is considered good? Yeah, 20, 22 to 24.9. Okay. So actually, what, there was a time where I was a little bit more bulked up when I was doing a lot of weightlifting. I would have yeah. qualified as on the cusp of overweight. Well, that's why we don't like BMI. BMI is not that good. No. Yeah. So BMI for like a football player, a linebacker, bodybuilder is going to 
even a like somebody with minimal body fat is yeah. not going to be good. But since this is overall population, we're not talking fit individuals. It's pretty applicable. Sure. Um, so United States at forty percent. Then the the runner up, the penultimate country. Mm-hmm. I'm using that word correctly. Finally, uh, is Chile with thirty four point four. So it wow. actually six percentage points uh, differentiate. U.S. from its from nearest competitor in terms of obesity. Mexico is up there. There's a lot of obesity in Mexico. They've done major things there. They've tried to restrict the sale of soft drinks. Yeah. The Mexicans love their soft drinks and their drinking calories. Uh, New Zealand is up there at 32. Uh, of interest is wow. Japan. What do you th- just just take a wild guess? What do you think the obesity rate is in Japan? And keep in mind that there are a few sumo wrestlers there. They're very f- <laughs> they're yeah. people who intentionally. Well, that's a whole yeah. yeah it's a, a culture, but thing. it's not like you know sumo wrestlers are obesity rate. Obesity rate in Japan fourteen percent. Okay, try again. Up or down? Down. Oh, twelve percent. It's an astonishing 4.2%. Oh, my goodness. How about that? In Japan. Yeah, how about that? Uh, wow. For some reason, I don't have statistics on China, which is the world's most populous country here. I wonder where they're at. They're being secretive. <laughs> <laughs> it's, they're, they're locked down. They're not showing themselves. Right. It's like nobody's dying of COVID and nobody's obese. <laughs> uh a country that I just visited, Lithuania, is doing pretty good at 16.6. I looked at the people there. They were pretty fit-looking people. And, you know, especially the older people in the cold, cold weather, you know, the snow. They were walking up and down steps, you know, crossing bridges over highways and, you know, going shopping with heavy, yeah. heavy shopping bags. <clears throat> you know what I'm reminded of? Fifteen years ago, you and I were talking about how this generation of children, 15 years ago, are going to die sooner than their yeah, adult that, parents. That whole thing. And the obesity mm-hmm. ec- epidemic has everything to do with it. Right. The o- obesity percentage rate, I believe, then was what it, What was it, 28%? Right. Maybe 30 or something like I, that? I see that in my family because uh, my grandfather, who grew up in great deprivation and hardship in mm-hmm. Poland, you know, mm-hmm. he was born in 1899, and, you know, he actually had rickets because mm-hmm. he, he, he was short and he had bow legs. Uh-huh. And so... Uh, obviously, he had some nutritional compromise. He ended up dying at 101. Uh, his wow. son uh, died at uh, 60. Mm-hmm. Uh, his daughter, my mother, died at uh, it, around 82. Wow. Uh, so, and in and I'm seeing this in, in other branches of uh, families is that you know you'll get often these hearty people who are yes. survivors. Uh, you know, from whether they're from Eastern Europe or whether they're from, you know, uh, other parts of the world where there was deprivation. Mm-hmm. And if you survived, and there was certainly a challenge to survival, yeah. uh, you could do pretty well. And their children coming to America and experiencing prosperity, uh, there's a higher toll. Have you noticed that in your family? Because you, you actually, yes. your family comes from overseas originally. Yes, from yeah. the Crimea. The old country, right. <laughs> the old country, right, exactly, right, yeah. Right. Uh, what's interesting is we're taller. My generation, my cousins, Obviously taller. all of that, we're I, taller. I'm taller than my father, and I, yeah. and in turn, he was taller than my yeah. grandfather. Yeah, yeah I, I think I'm, I'm an inch shorter than my father, for example. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. something like yeah. that. But, uh, right. Yeah. It was but, like that. but. 
mm-hmm. terms of life expectancy. I mean, certainly yes. there's uh, the so there's there are two twins in another branch of my family, mm-hmm. and one lived to ninety six and one lived to one hundred and two, and wow. one of their shortly thereafter one of their sons died at seventy five. He was seventy five. Mm-hmm. And he suffered from diabetes and, you know. The Western diet. Right. So, yeah. so we're seeing, and look, we're diet also of seeing. prosperity in their diet. We're also seeing an increase in deaths of despair, you know, yes. which are uh, yeah. drug and alcohol related, yeah. uh, and suicide and, and violence, you know, mm-hmm. uh, crime is taking its toll. And then COVID took a little bit of a toll. Yeah. But. Uh, but we're seeing a lot more fentanyl deaths too now. Yeah, but we can't attribute this all to to COVID because it was happening before COVID. Right. Yes, it was happening before COVID. But I just find it very concerning that we score so way below number 20 in life expectancy. Here's the other thing. I bet if there's another chart that we could overlay on that is expenditure per capita for medical care. And I think that we are way ahead of the world and we're not getting bang for our buck. Not at all. In terms of extending life. And yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, so what does that mean? Stop seeing doctors. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Well, there's that old adage of, you know, that. And I think it came from a, a study in a country where they had a doctor's strike, a prolonged doctor's strike. And what mm-hmm. they found is there was a significant decrease in mortality during that time. Wow. Uh, but maybe that was That's because there weren't so many heroic interventions that killed people you know like <laughs> like yes you know, mm-hmm. medical mayhem but you know we can't you know, one of the things that we do do a good job with though is we keep sick people alive longer in america true i think your chances of uh doing better with a serious medical condition that you might get earlier in america than exactly. in another country yeah uh you do better so we we are sort of prolonging the uh, survival, sort of the illness period. Yeah, you know? we're, we're survival of the sickest. Right, right, right. <laughs> Rather than survival of the fittest. Right. Yeah, oh, that's very disheartening. And the obesity, I can't believe that number, 40%. Mm-hmm. It's mind-boggling. Yeah. Yeah. And just around that issue is, you know that study that we talked about that, it wasn't a study, it was actually a position paper of the American uh, Academy Pediatric, of Pediatrics, yes. AAP, which is recognizing that there's a tremendous problem of childhood obesity. Okay, good. I spent, you know, like it's a very long paper, like, you know, hundreds I of pages. I read some of the excerpts, yeah. And what they do, they, do, they talk about uh, very intensive lifestyle intervention. Yeah. Which they, which they talk about. And then they say, but yeah, but you know, it's, it's expensive, it's impractical, it doesn't really exactly. work. Exactly. And they're saying 13 year olds should be. Medicated right. for it, and even bariatric surgery. Age thirteen. Wait right, a minute. Right. They're still growing. Right. They're still growing. Right. And we don't know what the effects of these medications are on yeah. adults, much less growing children long term. Yeah. So, uh, but I there was like a um, pushback against that. You know, from various people for taking our perspective, it's like you know maybe this is too extreme. Like, why don't you try like really effective. Uh, lifestyle intervention, like very low carb diets, yeah, that could really make a difference. Okay, well, there's pushback from some people. Uh, I read an article in the New York Times. The pushback was 
this whole thing is like stigmatizing overweight people. And we should have more, you know, we're creating like a whole category of people who are marginalized and stigmatized. And it's a form of, you know, okay, I, I get that. And it, I think that one of the segments, one of the, the segments of our population that is most discriminated against in a way that is tacitly accepted are the overweight individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, we keep, I mean, just by us talking about it, it's like making people feel terrible. But we, we have, still have to talk about it. But because we're talking about it from a health standpoint. Exactly. We're, we're not passing judgment. From a judgment. cosmetic standpoint. We're not passing yeah, judgment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're trying to help. Yeah. So it really is, I mean, if it were one thing, it would be like, oh, you know, you're fat, you're ugly, but it doesn't have any health consequences. Well, then I get it. It's, it's like, you know. If it has no health consequences, be fat and ugly. Go for it. <laughs> if there are no health it's the health consequences we're right. concerned about. Right. I mean, you know. Not how they look or, you know, that's terrible what's going on. It's, you know, it's like, we're afraid to offend we, anybody. It's so it's ridiculous. like what they're saying is like we should just accept this, you know, the fat acceptance movement. Uh, I, I'm really concerned about that because I that's have. a whole uh, movement where it seeks to normalize Overweight, you know, it's like underwear ads with people who are very overweight. Yes. I mean, look, it's a good way to sell plus size underwear. Sure. And, yeah. you know, that they make look, thank God there's that option because otherwise people would have to sew together their own underwear, <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that they have that option. Of course. You know, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah. Whatever. They're looking at so called real people, but don't forget that these real people, there are health consequences to their weight. Yeah. There yeah. simply is. We can't get around that. Yep. We can't get around that. So it, it's a complex societal issue. And, is. you know, we're going to have to tackle that if we're going to uh, move forward in this country. I mean, we think of the, all the threats to the progress in America. And I think this is huge. What, yeah. What's happening to our food supply, uh, our lack of uh, routine physical exercise. Yes. And the gap between the haves and the have-nots. People on superb diets, they shop at Whole Foods, they exercise with personal trainers, mm-hmm. you know, and they're like in fantastic shape. Yeah. Versus the vast majority of the populace who are poor diets and yes, very little physical activity. Very little physical activity. Maybe living in food deserts, although now with delivering such, it's not that difficult to have access to the proper food. But, you know, there still are food deserts everywhere to some degree uh, in disadvantaged neighborhoods and so forth. That still needs to be addressed. There's food insecurity, especially since the lockdown. Yep. And people have lost their jobs. It's harder now. It's skyrocketed there since the lockdown. There are more people lockdown. online at the food pantries than ever. It's skyrocketed yeah. since then, yeah. Yeah. And the choices there aren't necessarily great, but it's still sustenance to mm-hmm. some degree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that can of cream corn... <laughs> may not be the best, but Gov- it's food Government cheese. Government cheese. Government cheese, exactly. It's like when they, you're hungry, you're not asking what. It's they, just, would, they would pull up the, you know, the, uh, 18, the you know, 18 wheelers and they'd yeah. throw the wheels of cheese off the back of the, you know. Right, right. Oh, my goodness. But it is scary what they're recommending now for 13-year-olds and up with medications, bariatric surgery. Oh my gosh, these growing bodies. Do you know in a teenage pregnancy is the only time in a woman, a full grown woman who is pregnant, 
the nutrients will go to the fetus preferentially, the absolutely. preferentially. But in a teenage pregnant woman, yep. she, it will not preferentially go to the fetus. It will go to the growing girl who was pregnant. Interesting. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Yep. What is going to happen if you perform bariatric surgery on this growing person? Mm -hmm. This 13-year-old, this 14-year-old, mm -hmm. this 15-year-old, what's going to happen to... I think the nutritional consequences will density, be way more severe bone density. than in somebody who's already full-grown. It's a critical period for brain development, yes. bone density, and so on. Even neurological development isn't yeah. complete until 20 years of age. 20 or, or more. Or 21, yeah. right? Yeah. What's going to happen to them? Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid of this, yeah. actually. Okay. It, it, it's frightening. It's right. frightening. And I would never recommend it to a nutritionist. Yeah. As a nutritionist, rather. I would never recommend it to anyone. And I'm hoping However, parents... However, I think you would work diligently with a patient who's undergone that procedure... Oh, yes. ...to, to address sure some the... of their liabilities. Cause yes. Because without a very uh, guided nutritional uh, approach... Yeah. That can really create a lot of health liabilities. Exactly. I mean, we know in adults who have undergone the procedure well into adulthood, the, the deficiencies that continue to plague them despite their yeah. very good nutrition. But we have some, a couple of really amazing success stories. People who have lost too. more than half of their body weight, like two-thirds of their body yeah. weight, and are they embrace the lifestyle. Yeah. Maybe some of them are, are listening to this podcast. Yeah. And, you know, occasionally I, I hear from a couple of them because they're doing so well that they no longer check in. But with the right nutritional supplementation, yeah. the right diet, the right behavioral stuff, yeah. uh, the right spiritual stuff, because you really have to, you know, you have to kind of overcome uh, your hungry brain, mm -hmm. you know, which is looking for gratification. And, and uh, then with proper exercise, True. you can sustain the benefits. That's but true. you know, I just talked to somebody, and I didn't I met him socially. Only no, he was a patient, I think. Anyway, so he was saying, yeah, you know, my uh, fiance underwent um, bariatric surgery, but she seems to be gaining all the weight back. Mm. You know, okay. not good. Not good at all. The other thing is, I still have trouble wrapping my head around a bariatric surgery procedure, which the only way that you feel that you're going to lose weight is to, if you eat beyond a certain point, 500 calories a day, 800 calories a day, whatever it may be, you're going to vomit. Yeah. This can't be the way. Yeah, yeah. This just, that's that's not a joyful life. Yeah, you but know? you know, it's a, it's a risk-benefit equation because actually, if True. you can demonstrate that these people are less likely to die of heart disease, diabetes, or, or obesity-related yeah. things, then you, look, you're taking a risk, but you are achieving a benefit. And this is not for routine, like people a little overweight. This is for people who are so Those are the people who must have three or four breakfast sandwiches when one will do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's those people. Yeah. I get it. To some, to some degree, it is psychiatric, yeah. I believe. So it has the act to. of overeating, yeah. the same as with anorexia, not eating enough. We're not taking it in. Anyway, it's a, it's a complex problem. Okay, so uh, what we'll do is let's take a couple of questions, and then we'll go to a, a uh, break for part two. Mm -hmm. And part two, we'll consider more questions. We ran a little long on this segment yeah. because it's a big but issue. it's important, yeah. So we've got a question from Michael. Actually, we have a couple of questions about AMPK. He says, hi, Dr. Hoffman Layla. I would appreciate your views about the use of AMPK. Here's a summary of the results of a study about how it enhances mitochondrial function 
and exercise benefits. Now we know that AMPK, it has a role in kind of modulating mitochondrial activity, uh, the essential mediator of the cycle of fragmentation and repair of the mitochondria, the specialized structures, uh, organelles inside every cell responsible for producing energy. Now here's the thing, AMPK can be enhanced by exercise, it increases with regular uh, vigorous exercise. Mm -hmm. The beneficial effect on exercise on AMPK, however, may vanish in the elderly, and I think this is the point of uh, Michael's question. Uh huh. But there yeah. are other, and that, and the, which is interesting because, yeah. um, you know, benefits of diet, exercise, certain supplements do decrease the older you get, and sometimes there's yeah. a point of no return. Uh, AMPK is 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 a switch. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of an energy switch, but it also uh, impacts inflammation and longevity. Mm -hmm. And it's a good thing, and there are natural ways to enhance it. I guess they're looking for drug ways to kind of right. get in there. Um, well, there's one drug that can help enhance it, and it's metformin. Metformin does that, right? yeah. Mm -hmm. That may so, be why, one of the reasons why metformin yeah. uh, exerts an anti-aging effect and a longevity effect, yeah. although that's not entirely... Proven. I listened to an entire podcast for two hours to one of the guys who is doing the metformin research, uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Mir Val Nir Basile, who's at my medical school, Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Mm. And at the end, you know, he says, well, we, we really don't know. Yeah. We really don't know. But he believes in it. He takes yeah. it himself. Yeah. And he's conducting studies to look at its potential to yeah. extend life. Another way to enhance AMPK, although I don't know if this would go down as we age is calorie restriction. Yep, caloric restriction yeah, and that's will rev up your, yeah. yeah. Uh, so they're looking for, I guess they're looking for the drug too. Right. Uh, now there's, uh, there are, there's a claim that certain uh, nutraceuticals are AMPK builders yeah. or supporters. I think that the evidence on that is um, somewhat limited. Yes. Certain herbs. There are certain natural agents. Mm -hmm. There's some Chinese herbs that may be helpful, but I think it needs more warrants further review. But in the meantime, you know, I think exercise yeah. is one of the most plausible ways Absolutely. of doing it. If there is a fountain of youth, I've even told our patients, if there is a fountain of youth, I believe it's exercise. In particular, I say to our older patients, strength training, because it'll Thank keep you. them from becoming feeble. I, I'm, doing, I'm doing more of that yeah. myself. And yeah. You know, we have to give equal time to it, it as we get older. If it prevents me, you know, because it's only a limited amount of time you can exercise, a limited amount of energy you have to exercise, and, you know, yes. sometimes you suffer from injuries. If there should come a time where I can't, you know, compete in triathlons, uh, I would just be happy to do a balanced program of, you know, a lot of aerobics, which I enjoy, but also, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not to skimp on the strength training, because yeah. I think that strength training uh, is helpful. And what's interesting about strength training is you can improve your strength and you can create a lot of benefits in your body yeah. without getting big. That's true. I mean, if your goal is getting big, there are ways of getting big. Women don't get big. Right. Women, first of all, we don't have the testosterone. Yeah, that's part of it. That's why you also can't get a six pack. You can right. do like, you know, 12,000 crunches <laughs> and you still won't have a six right. pack. Right. Because you know, you've got estrogen. Unless you're doping or something. And you've maybe. got estrogen, that's going to give you some curves. Yeah. You know, right. some yeah. subcutaneous fat. Yeah. So anyway, so, yeah. um, but yes, let's... And, and that added muscle, that increased muscle mass, just torches more calories. Yes. 
you know, and the benefit healthy. is you can eat a little more and you'll yeah, be yeah. fine yep. because it's your metabolism that's going in that's to super. One of my incentives because yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to eat less. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I know marathon runners, Doctor Hoppin. I'm sure you do too, mm-hmm. who are marathon runners, so they could eat a pint of Hagen Dazs every night. I've known such people. Anyway, and so, drink and drink quite a few beers too. Right. That's true. Too. There's a tendency. Alcohol and exercise doesn't go. Mm-hmm. I've never, but some people do. I've known some smokers who go to the gym every morning at 5 a.m. I don't understand how that works, but hey, okay. they got it to work, but hey, good for them. And apropos of which, I yeah. just read, there's an article, a scientific article, on how a great recovery drink is not beer, but alcohol-free beer. It's, oh! It, it's rich in hops. Oh, duels or something. Right. Or which it's, it's rich in hops, yeah, I'm trying to which is other. anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Terrific. And it's got, you know, a little bit of calories and uh-huh. it's a good recovery drink. It's like, I, I've got some in the refrigerator. Out there in you my, go. In the, in the house in the country. There you go. I'm going to go for some this weekend, I think. Very good. Very, very good. <laughs> but first, I got to do the workout. Yeah. And it's going to be cold. All right. Let's take a break because mm-hmm. we exceeded our allotted time for part one. Mm. Uh, in part two, give us a preview of what we're going to tackle. Uh, it's actually another question from Michael again about nicotinamide riboside. Okay. How yeah. many milligrams is the question? All right. When we return, more of your questions, question come to questions at drhoppin.net. Remember, uh, they can be questions, they can be comments. We like to hear about uh, everything you're concerned with. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman today with Layla Mutin. It's our weekly Q&A with Layla.